And we are studying on the promises of God. I think we're in sermon number five, if I remember correct. Um, And we've been going through these. Really, you could probably park yourself in a study like this on the promises of God for uh, the next decade, you know, just one after Sunday night after another, uh, because there are so many promises that God has in the scriptures, um, different topics we could look at. We can look at uh, various things. Now, I want to say at the front of this, if you were here on Wednesday night, we did a Bible study in the fellowship hall. And we were in 1 Kings chapter 3 on the prayer of Solomon. And our focus on Wednesday night has been on the prayers of the Old Testament. Not just the Old Testament, but the prayers found in the Bible. And we've been looking at that. And we came to Solomon and his prayer for wisdom. Uh, And uh, I want to pick up on that tonight. Not to repeat in in full what I I taught on um, Wednesday night. But to kind of build off of that a little bit, because we didn't talk much about God's response and Solomon's response to the answer to his prayer. And we'll just kind of pick it up here. We're going to read down through verse 15, 1 Kings chapter 3, and beginning right in verse 1. And then we're going to look at the last part of this. But it says, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. And then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, For that was the great high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, And you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to come in or go out, uh, or to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And then God said, because you have asked this thing, you have, and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings of all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, Then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. 
And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. Lord, we just come before you again, thanking you, thanking you for your goodness and thanking you for uh, wisdom that comes from on high. And we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Wisdom, that's quite a word and it's a word that probably is somewhat lacking in action today as people um, are, are, you know, the, the various people that call themselves wise out there, there are very few that are truly indeed wise and wise as unto, first and foremost, the God of heaven and filtering everything in their world through that. Uh, Solomon, and we looked at this on Wednesday night, and for those that weren't there, um, we looked at this because you have in the middle of this Solomon's prayer, and it's basically the chapter starts off with sort of um, a man that is, well, first of all, he's politically compromised. He, we find in verse 1, Solomon has married into Pharaoh, that's king of Egypt, Pharaoh's uh, family, and taken one of Pharaoh's daughters to be his wife. And he's done what most kings of that day did, is they, to make a peace treaty, they would marry into a family that could be your enemy at one time or another. And then if you marry into the family, it's pretty hard to go to war at, you know, against your own household. And that's the way kings did that. Solomon did that. Uh, and there's a lot of discussion of whether that was right or wrong, but God would use it. There was peace between Egypt and Israel during that time. And then it talks about Solomon having a heart like his father David and that he wanted to please God. He seemed to be a man that really loved the Lord. But there's something that he was doing he shouldn't do. And that was simply that he was out there worshiping God in the high places. And that's a reference to how or the, the groves and the other high places of the hills where the people of the land who were worshiping false gods at one time, where they used to go and worship. And it, the text says it was because there wasn't any place there to permanently go and, and worship God. There was no place to call upon his name, but no temple. And there was instruction with a tabernacle, and they did have a means to do that. And actually, in the book of Deuteronomy, they were told not to do what the people of the land were doing. And that was explicit. Matter of fact, I'll read it. In Deuteronomy 12, verse 1, it says, These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. And there you shall go, which was at Jerusalem. And uh, in the wilderness experience under Moses, it was wherever the, the, really the glory of God led them and associated there with the tabernacle. And we find in Solomon's day, he's kind of one of these um, mixtures of sort of a mystery wrapped in an enigma, as Churchill would say, right? And he is. He's one of these guys that he does right on one hand, but yet ends up doing wrong on other things. And God seems, seemingly doesn't hold it against him in this sense that 
Um, he would indeed use Solomon to build a permanent structure, Solomon's, known as Solomon's Temple, but really the Temple of God. Um, David began that process, and then later Solomon uh, completed it. And God would use him in that. And Solomon was a work in progress his whole life. And, and nearing the end of his life, his heart was turned greatly away from God. And then he seems to repent at the very end of his life. Um, and in Ecclesiastes 12, uh, the thrust of that book is, uh, Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. And Solomon's writing that as an old man. He's writing it as someone who didn't wholeheartedly follow the Lord during some of those years. And um, there's a lot you could point out in his life for that. But I want to look at the prayer, and I want to look at the reaction at the end. Um, But he was conflicted in that he was uh, compromised in that he had a wife from Egypt, and then he would have many more wives as well. Um, He was personally conflicted in that he was out there worshiping in places he shouldn't have worshipped. And again, we sometimes do things we think are pleasing to God, but the ways we do them aren't. And I guess that's a whole other message. But there are lots of instances in Scripture where I think people had good intentions, but they didn't do what was right. And there's both of those, by the way. You need to have good intentions, but you have to do it God's way, right? Uh, And then we find, again, he was committed in so many different ways. He really was. He was a committed man. He was dedicated to uh, leading his people, being a good king. And when God asks him to ask anything of him, he chooses wisdom. He chooses wisdom over riches, over honor, over military power, over uh, you know domain, whatever it is. He chooses wisdom. And I think, of course, God points that out, that God was pleased with his prayer and pleased to answer his prayer. And we looked at this on Wednesday night. If you look at the prayer of Solomon uh, and the dialogue, and mind you, he's, he has this encounter with God in a dream, um, and this was a divine encounter, divine dream in those days. God was doing that, and, and he, he implants himself right in the mind of, or, you know, meets God in this, uh, in this state of a dream. And God asks him to, you know, there's this dialogue going back and forth, and you see Solomon recalling the work of God. Um, he's thankful for the past. He recognizes his own weakness. He says, I'm a child. Here's a king who he's before the Lord and he realizes his position. He is just like a little child. I don't know how to lead this, these people. And he is before the Lord who knows everything. And he requests wisdom from God. And that's uh, verse 9 there where he talked about that. Um, and uh, I'll just turn to that. Verse 9 it says, Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Solomon recognized his weakness as a man and as a leader apart from God. And, he, and I think that's a good place, that we need to recognize our weaknesses and uh, realize that we're really wholly dependent upon the, our God for anything and for any leadership. And I think we can come to that in any situation. All of us have those that are around us that we influence some way or another. Um, if you're a grandparent or a mom or a dad or, or a friend of someone that has kids or, you know, just a peer or whatever, you have a scope of influence. And we ought to always be coming to God and saying, Lord, I don't know how I can, I can lead effectively and share the gospel in my life and with these little ones or with these peers or my coworkers or, and apart from you. 
And Solomon asked the right thing. He asked for wisdom. And verse 10 says, The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And I like that because we have God's response. And I've often wondered about that. Imagine if God um, verbally you know, answered us every time we prayed. And, and after we're done praying, he says, I like that prayer. Wow. Um, I wonder if he would sometimes. You know, my own prayers. I think of my prayers and, and I think sometimes I can pray very shallow. Sometimes I very hastily and not really a heart that wants to really reach out to heaven and say, God, I need your help. And uh, I say that carefully, but, but would God be pleased with your prayer life? He was pleased with Solomon's. Solomon's prayer wasn't a long prayer either. It was just simple. Lord, I'm a little child. I need help. Give me wisdom. And a little longer than that, but you know what I mean. He was like that. And verse 10, basically we see the master's response, right? He's delighted in Solomon's prayer. Verses 11 to 15, we see God's provision. And it says here, Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked long life for yourself, not asked riches for yourself, not asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for your under, yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words, and see, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before, nor shall any like you arise after you. God answers clearly, says, here it is, Solomon, going to give you wisdom that, that no one else has ever had, uh, I would say, apart from Jesus Christ and here on earth. And Solomon was a wise man because God made him wise in that. And not only did he do that, but because he didn't ask for long life, he didn't ask for wealth, he didn't ask for military power, uh, God says, I'm going to give that anyways. And I like that. The humility of Solomon uh, really is demonstrated in that God blessed him in his goodness beyond what Eve was even asking. That sort of goes with Jeremiah 33.3. Last time we were um, reading you know, in our promises, talking about the promises of answered prayer. And God says um, in Jeremiah 33.3 that he will really give us things we do not know. Like he'll give us wisdom. He'll give us things beyond our even our imagination. Really, that's what that verse talks about. And Solomon... Um, Solomon is the one that really epitomized that. Jeremiah 33, 3, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And here, that's exactly what Solomon experienced in, in that. And again, the New Testament equivalent to that, I think, is this. Matthew six thirty three. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, and, and more could be said about that. Anyways, we covered a lot of that and from different angles slightly on Wednesday night. But what we didn't really cover much here was from verses 15, in verse 15. Um, we kind of ended there, but didn't comment much more. It says, then Solomon awoke. He has this encounter with God in his, in his dream. He wakes and, and, and this whole reality is setting in that God has given him wisdom. And... He understands it was through the dream. But it says he came to Jerusalem. Now, he's been up at Gibeon in the high place. So what does he do? He goes to Jerusalem. It shows a heart that is now 
wise and going to the place where God wanted him to be. Um, and by the way, it's, it's always not where you've been, but where you're going, right? Uh, sometimes people come into a church and they say, oh boy, I, I don't even fit here. I shouldn't be here. And I always, if I, somebody has that kind of conversation with me, I tell them it's not where you've been, but it's where you're, you're at now and where you're going. And I don't care how you come in, but I do care how you go out. And Solomon was in a wrong place trying to worship God. God shows up and gives him wisdom. And now he heads to the right place in Jerusalem. And he stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. That was the very place that the glory of God dwelt. The Shekinah glory. It was the very place where at the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat on top where the blood was sprinkled on the Day of Atonement. And it was associated there with not only the sacrifices for atonement, but the very essence of who God was. And it's a picture of Christ, that ark, um, in, in that. He stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And look what it says. Offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. And I want to look at that part, that last part. Because we don't often talk about the burnt offerings. We don't talk about the peace offerings. We don't talk necessarily. We do talk about fellowship. That's the aspect of the feast that he had with his servants. But I want to look at a little side study on that. Because it's important to see the actions of Solomon after God answers his prayer. The first thing is that it says he offered up burnt offerings. Now, according to the verse in the beginning of uh, this chapter, when he was up in the high places, he offered up a thousand offerings. So most likely... Here he is, it was no small thing for Solomon to offer up offerings uh, in these birth offerings. And basically what this would have been, would have been uh, animal sacrifices that would have, as they're described in scripture, uh, probably the first instance of a burnt offering, although it's not called that, is found in Genesis chapter 4 verse 4. I can't prove that, but in keeping with the type from from on after this, every time a sacrifice is mentioned, you know, well, not every time, there's different sacrifices, but the burnt offering sacrifices are mentioned after that. And it would make sense that the very first that is mentioned in Scripture was probably that. And it's Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel in his offering. So the offering that he had, we don't know exactly how that was offered, but most likely on an altar, most likely a burnt offering. And the very first instance we know of a burnt offering is in Noah's time, after he comes out, after the flood. And it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So what does Noah do? An act of uh, worship, really, as he offers a burnt offering. And really, this in this burnt offering, a picture of the the salvation, really, the worship that he's giving is, is seen in the ascended smoke. And we come to the book of Leviticus and actually talks about that. Genesis 22, you have Isaac and Abraham going up on the Mount Moriah. And it's there that he was, Abraham brought the wood. Remember, he brought his son and he was ready, you know, to kill his son and offer him as a burnt offering. And that whole thing was would have been quite drastic and yet god intervenes provides a lamb or a ram uh, and we see that in exodus chapter 10 
The burnt offering was so important that when Pharaoh finally offers to let the people go, he said one condition, that you, your, your livestock has to remain in Egypt. That God brought the last judgment upon Pharaoh. Not only did Pharaoh lose all the Israelites and all their livestock, but he also lost the firstborn of all his livestock in his kingdom and the firstborn of all his, his people. Um, the, the plague that came there. But you have in Exodus 10, Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. The burnt offering was central to the worship of the Jew. And it was central to the obedience that the Jew had. And this is even... Uh, before the law is given uh, under Moses, they were already practicing those things. I believe right from the beginning, that was the picture. Right after sin happens, the very first offerings would have been, and it's interesting, the very first offerings in Scripture is the skin off or the coverings, right? Now, something had to die in the place of those animals so Adam and Eve could be clothed. By the way, the only thing that was not consumed in the burnt offering was the skins of these animals. We'll come to a verse later on that. And they were given to those who were sacrificing. Picture there. That's why I think even Adam and Eve, that probably even, you know, I said Genesis 4, but go back it up even further. And there's probably a burnt offering right there uh, in the killing of the animal that had to cover them or the skins that had to be used later uh he goes on to say our livestock also shall go with us not a hoof shall be left behind for we must take some of them to serve the lord our god moses was willing to compromise he was like we'll leave some of them but we need animals to sacrifice because god had told them to do that and it was a means by where they were demonstrating their trust in god their belief their faith and it's were justified by faith uh, there was an action to it but it was aspect of trust is what it was. And Moses, by the way, same, saved the same way you and I are saved. He trusted God's plan, trusted God in doing so, and by faith he was justified. Abraham, by faith, was justified. We know that from Hebrews chapter 11. And we are justified by faith. We look back to a sacrifice. He looked ahead. Then it says... Um, yeah, and even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. And it says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, take heed to yourself, and see my face no more, for in the day you see my face you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well, I will never see your face again. So the falling out he had with Pharaoh really was over the animals and over burnt offerings. Important. Don't overlook the burnt offerings. You come to Leviticus, and Leviticus opens up with the burnt offering. And in Leviticus chapter 1, I won't go through all the details prior to that, but I'll just read a few verses here. You come to Leviticus chapter 1, verse 10, and it says, In his offering, or if, sorry, if his offering is of the flocks, of the sheep, or of the goats, as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. Had to be perfect. Had to be a male. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord, 
and the priest Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar see the picture that has seen that animal was to be taken it was to be on the tells him on the north side by the way all details are important in scripture very important he says on the north side the blood was to be taken from the animal and it was to be sprinkled on the altar the rest of the animal minus the skin they skinned it and according to we'll read it a little bit later um, leviticus 7 8 the priests who were involved in that got to take the skins that was the only thing that wasn't burned up and that would have been like the wool on a on a, on a sheep would have been or on a goat um, they would have had goat skins and that would have been valuable it also would have been a provision for them in that and look what it says and he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar but he shall wash the entrails and the legs with water and then the priest shall bring it and burn it on the altar it is a burnt sacrifice an offering made by fire a sweet aroma to the lord and the word for burnt offering or burnt sacrifice carries the idea of ascending. That's the idea. It's the ascending smoke. And it was pleasing to the Lord. Um, and it's a picture of a greater sacrifice who was to come. In Leviticus chapter 6, we have it spelled out a little further. And in Leviticus 6, you have the law of the burnt offering. And in there, I'll read a few verses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night until morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers. He shall put on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering, which the fire has consumed in the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. By the way, he was to do that on the north side, according to um, chapter 1. And this fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out, and the priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and lay the burnt offering on it, uh, in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. Wow. And we know that um, uh, this was, and, and later on, uh, this is the verse I mentioned in, in Leviticus 7, the priest who offers anyone's burnt offering, that priest shall have for himself the skin of the offering, of the burnt offering, which he has offered. So the priest was allowed to take the skin of the animal and utilize it uh, for himself. Um, and they would do that. Interesting little picture that is seen in this because when you the the burnt offering pictures for us christ in all really in 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 everything in this whole thing it's a picture ultimately jesus was sacrificed on the cross his just like the burnt offering had to be completely consumed jesus's physical life was completely consumed by his death on the cross uh, he ascended to God, just like the sweet-smelling aroma of the burnt offering, and it ascends up to God, a picture of the ascension of Christ, the sacrifice. It also is interesting that his covering, his garment was taken from him, 
And who was it given to? It was given to those who were sacrificing him. There's a picture in his garment as Matthew 7, 27, 35 says, says, then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. They divided my garment among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. Say, well, where did all this take place? If you look at a picture of modern Jerusalem, this is an aerial photograph, satellite photograph. You have the picture. Now, this is north-oriented. So as you're looking up, that's north, okay, on the picture. And you notice the temple down there in the bottom ground. I don't know if you can read it. That's the temple area. And then around the, if you read of the gospel accounts of Christ as he was taken out, actually he would have been taken out by the sheep gate where the sheep were brought into the city for the sacrifices at the temple. By the way, the burnt offerings were not just on Passover. They were every day. Morning and evening there were burnt offerings. Sabbath there was an extra burnt offering. There was a burnt offering when, at special occasions, there was a burnt offering at almost every one of the feasts that the Jews had. And, of course, there were burnt offerings on the um, high holy days like the Day of Atonement. Um, there were always burnt offerings. That's why he says you're to keep that fire burning all the time. It was always going on. Jesus comes along. He's inspected, just like the sheep had to, or the goats that were being sacrificed had to be inspected. They had to be without blemish. Jesus was without, without blemish. He was, he was taken and he was examined. He was brought before magistrates and kings. And then later he was handed back over to those who were the priests that were going to actually be involved in the sacrifice of him. Even though the Romans physically were the ones that pounded the nails in, it was under the auspices of those, the direction of those priests. And it was outside the city, outside to the north. Very interesting, that's where the sacrifice was to be brought after it was um, consumed and all of those things. And if you look at the very top, it's, it says Golgotha. It's known as Gordon's Calvary. It's the most likely spot where Jesus was crucified. It is the place that fits the description best. And I think one of the best um, pieces of evidence to that is it's the only one that's north of the city. There are other places around Jerusalem that they say this might have been Calvary, this might have been. But it's the high place. It, it fits that terrain of Mount Moriah. Um, you know, where one time Isaac was, was going to be sacrificed, you know, way back at that time. And it is outside the gates, the, the northern edge of the, the, the old city. And like I said, it, it just makes sense. And it's a picture, I think, a fulfillment of the type. Some people say, you're reading too much into it. No, I don't know. I don't think so. I think every detail is important. And it all points to Christ. And the burnt offering is central to that. It really is. Um, Leviticus 7, 11 is the peace offering. And we'll go on to that. And by the way, I can go on and talk about burnt offerings. But that basically was the fulfillment of, or was completely fulfilled in Jesus when he put away sin forever. See, his sacrifice was once for all. Aren't you glad you don't have to have an animal night and day getting killed and skinned and burned on an altar all night, 
all day. Aren't you glad? What a cumbersome way to approach faith. And for the Jews, it was cumbersome. Think of the probably just the hundreds of thousands, probably millions, uh, millions of gallons of blood that was spilled and the amount of animals that had to die to show us the strength of sin and the judgment of God. That something had to die for our sin. And when it came down to it, the only thing that could ever take away sin was God himself. Because the blood and bulls and goats and the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer, the Bible says, could never take away sin. But the aspect of trust and faith did. They were justified by faith. They didn't know how, why that worked or why it was, but that was an action that they trusted. And we trust the completed work of Christ. We have more revelation than they did. Anyways, what about a peace offering? Because it says Solomon offered burnt offerings and he offered peace offerings. And the peace offering, the law of the peace offering is found in Leviticus 7. And it says, this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer it with the sacrifice of thanksgiving, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Beside the cakes, as his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. And from it, he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord. It shall belong to the priests who sprinkled the blood on the peace offering. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary thing, it shall be eaten the same day and that he offers his sacrifice. But on the next day, the remainder of it also may be eaten. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. And then it goes on talking about the unclean things and clean things. But, but the peace offering, in general, it, it really um, was a propitiation or a payment, a reconciliation, either two ways, of thanksgiving to the Lord, or something to also uh, bring peace or pacification between people. So if someone had offended somebody, they could offer a peace offering on behalf of that offense. That was one way. Uh, we sort of have that, although it's kind of twisted now. You know, we say, you know, I, like you, you make your, your wife mad and you go buy a bouquet of flowers and you offer her a peace offering, right? Well, that's not quite the same in, in anything. But we still use the word in our modern vernacular. Um, and it's, but it, in, in really out of the scriptures, it's a lot stronger than that. It pictures for us the fellowship we have. It naturally comes after the burnt offering, and they could be offered simultaneously. And unlike the burnt offering, the peace offering, most of it could be consumed. So it was like cooked, you know, and then the meat was given out. And it says like the bread that they would make, a loaf or whatever, that could be taken by the priests and they could eat it. You wonder what the priests ate? Remember, they weren't supposed to own land. They weren't supposed to have farms and all the other stuff. Well, they survived on the generosity of God's people and God and the obedience of a nation. When Israel was obedient, the priests did okay. When they weren't, it was a pretty lean time to be a Levitical priest. And back to this. 
The peace offering pictures for us the fellowship that we have. Burnt offering pictures salvation. And through the fellowship of his suffering, right, really the peace that we have, we have a propitiation between God and man. And someone could bring a peace offering any time. They could bring it and offer it as an offering of thanksgiving, uh, just saying, wow, I've been so blessed. Thank you, God. Here's an offering. And they could do that. Or they could do it as um, an offering between parties of some sort. And in doing so, they often would share from that offering the meat and whatever else was offered in that, like the bread, it talks about that. And they would share that as a communal aspect. I think it's pictured in our Lord's table somewhat when you think about it. Um, Both the burnt offering, we remember his death, but we also remember the fact that he's united us together. And when we celebrate the Lord's table, we call it communion because we're communing one with another because of the Lord and offering up our praise and thanks for that. Uh, Three things real quickly about the peace offering. First of all, a peace offering could be given as a free will offering. And that means that the worshiper was given the peace, who, who, uh, that the worshiper was giving the peace offering as a way to say thank you to God, and thank you for His unsought generosity. Think about the unsought generosity. Solomon says, "Give me wisdom to discern justice." God says, "I'll give you wisdom, but I'm also going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you. Uh, you're going to be a king like no other. I'm going to give you honor. I'm going to give you power over your enemy." Why wouldn't he offer a peace offering for that? Wow. And then secondly, it was a peace offering could be given alongside a vow that was fulfilled. For instance, Hannah is a good example of that in 1 Samuel there. You read of that. When she goes into the temple um, and to fulfill a vow, she offers a peace offering. And so people would vow to God and then they would offer up a, a peace offering. And... It was a way to say, I'm not holding anything back. Here it is, Lord. And again, the third purpose of it was uh, giving thanksgiving for God who may have delivered you in an hour of need. And that often was the way it was done too. And um, it wasn't specifically to pacify God. That was seen in the burnt offering. It was a means of thanksgiving in the peace offering. So anyways, lots of different things there you could look at. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.3 says, And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. I am glad that today we don't have to offer a peace offering either. Instead, we have the Spirit of God who is supposed to be, well, dwelling in our hearts in fullness. I do believe if you're a Christian, you're a believer, you're saved and you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, the Bible says we can grieve him, we can quench him. And the peace offering pictures for us a fellowship with God and a fellowship with each other. And it's easy to break fellowship, isn't it? It's really easy. The old heart gets in the way. <laughs> the attitude... And we come to the New Testament, we're held to even a higher standard than the Jew was in the Old Testament. Because they could go offer a sacrifice and do that, but we actually 
Paul implores us. He says, what the law isn't written on your, you know, like on a stone tablet, right? It's written by the Spirit. And he's on our hearts. And those tablets are here inside us, not, not something that we just go out and we follow as a ritual. And so it's important that we keep communion with God and with each other as well. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Again, Paul reiterating that um, the gospel doesn't come in only the word, of, in, the, in the letter of the word, but through the demonstration of that as well. Both are coupled. And I know uh, some might take offense boy, when I say it's not just the word. The gospel certainly is the word of God and the message that it gives, but it is never um, alone. It is affected by the life that, of the messenger, of those that live among us as Christians. We are to live out the gospel. That's what Paul says. And he says, you know what we were among you. What manner of man. And uh, they were the real deal. And then you come to the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is filled with these illustrations and the connections to the Old Testament sacrifices and the Old Testament rituals. And there were some that were in danger of going back to those things which could never save. And the writer in Hebrews um, picks up on those things. Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Therefore, by him, that's by Christ. Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. What was the peace offering? It was a sacrifice of praise. And what were they to do? They were to continually be bringing those peace offerings and doing that. We're, as believers in this age, called to bring a continual spiritual sacrifice. Amen. And that spiritual sacrifice is one of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You know when you're thankful... It is part of the peace offering with God and each other. There's nothing greater than just being thankful. A thankful heart will, oh, it'll just melt your enemies sometimes, you know. And it will also bring people closer together. You need to do that. Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Look what he says. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Can I say that again? Do you know what the Apostle Paul wanted and what God wants? Is our hearts knit together in love? If your heart isn't knit together in love, there's something wrong with you. If you're a Christian. It's that simple. That's what he wants. Doesn't mean it's always knit together in love, is it? I know. I got one of those hearts. Doesn't always want to be tied together with someone else. Knit, knit together. Look, he says, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Look what he goes on to say. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want the wisdom of Solomon? You'll find it in the Savior, because all wisdom is hidden in Him, and all treasure is found in Him. We have even a greater opportunity than Solomon did. And I'll say that pridefully, but we have 
the revelation of who Christ is, who the Savior is. And we have the revelation of the prophecy fulfilled in the sacrifices and those feasts and all those things, sometimes very cumbersome and wordy as you read through them, like we read through Leviticus. They're fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he's given us all that in all wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for, first of all, the burnt offering. Thank you that you took upon yourself, the Son of God took upon himself, the very wrath of God to appease God. And Lord, that just makes my mind pause because I, I can't even, f- f- even understand that fully. But yet, Lord, you did it. You did it for us. You did it for just the plan of salvation, the only way. I thank you for the peace offering, Lord, and that also being seen in what you've done. You, you offered yourself as a peace offering also. And Lord, we can feast on the riches of your grace. We can feast on your knowledge and wisdom. And Lord, we can stand in awe of who you are because of what you've done. Help us to be a people that are united and knit together in love, to deal with things. And Lord, just as the sun should not go down on our wrath, the sun wasn't to go down without a peace offering or without an offering for sin. People were to do those things continually. And Lord, we are grateful for that. We're grateful for the fact that it is finished now and we can rest in Christ and we have all these things that for us and for you. In Jesus' name, amen.